Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, October 25th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's financial show, we're talking real estate with a special guest. Howard Hughes Corporation is one of the most unique real estate companies in the world. Recently, our own Matt Frankel sat down with CEO David O'Reilly to talk more about how the company generates market-beating returns, why he thinks it has the best risk-adjusted return potential in the publicly traded real estate sector, and much more. We hope you enjoy their conversation. We are joined by David O'Reilly. He is CEO of Howard Hughes Corporation, one of my favorite real estate companies. And one that kind of flies under the radar because they're kind of unique. So with that in mind, David, first of all, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled thrilled to chat with you, Matt. So for those who don't know what Howard Hughes does, you're kind of in a unique spot in real estate. You're not quite a REIT. You're not quite a real estate developer. Can you uh, give just kind of a brief overview of what you do? Absolutely. And it it is very unique and definitely unique within the public markets. But what we are is we're really a large-scale master planner. We have communities across the country where we're a dominant landowner. Those communities are the Woodlands and Bridgeland and Houston, which represent 28,000 and 11,000 acres. Or you know, the Woodlands is roughly one and a half times the size of the island of Manhattan. Downtown Columbia in Maryland, 22,000 acres known as Summerlin, just west of the Las Vegas Strip, Ward Village in Honolulu, and the seaport in New York City. And really what we do at the end of the day is we play SimCity within these master plan communities. We decide where the mixed use urban environments of tomorrow should be built. We do develop where housing is, public infrastructure, fire stations, police, as well as office, retail, hospitals, really creating a place where people and companies want to live, work and play. It's really drives some unique financial synergies for us in that the proceeds that we get from the sale of residential land to home builders and the recurring income from our rent collections entirely self-fund over a billion dollars of development a year. That development that we try to build at outsized risk-adjusted returns that just further amenitize our communities, making them more desirable to live in. Since we've spun out and became a public company 11 years ago, we built that operating portfolio by developing those commercial acres into over 8 million square feet of office, 3 million square feet of retail, and over 5,300 apartment units. And we have an extensive pipeline with 50 million square feet of entitlements that will allow us to develop not just for years, but for decades to come. Excellent. So- so what's most attractive of, of about that type of business model? Like, in other words, why not just develop office buildings if that's where you see an opportunity? Absolutely. I think what really sets us apart and what makes us unique and gives us competitive advantages is the unique influence that we have over such large swaths of land. Um, and if we were just building an office building, we'd make a great office building, but we wouldn't have the impact or the care for the surrounding environment. And at Howard Hughes, we're looking at the big picture. We're developing the office, the shopping, the hotels. We're focused on the parks and trails in between, the interstitial spaces that drives great communities. Uh, Our business is really formed around what we think is a virtuous cycle of value creation, where we take land, sell it to home builders who build homes, residents move in, those residents demand commercial amenities. 
We build those commercial amenities, which in turn make the residents' homes more valuable, make our remaining land more valuable, and continues to drive on and on. You know, I think one of the most rewarding parts of working at Howard Hughes is when a Howard Hughes employee comes to work every day, we're defining our success by improving the lives of our residents, consumers, and tenants. If we give them better schools, better trails, better access to nature, better places to work, better places to shop, it drives value for us. And that's an incredibly rewarding aspect of our business and something that we take great pride in every day. All right, so I wanna, I wanna ask this next question a little bit differently than I had planned. Um, you mentioned all your master plan communities. I was gonna ask which has the most value creation potential, but that's kind of a, a strange way to ask it. The way I'd like to say, could you give us kind of an overview of how mature each community is relative, like which ones are most built out which ones do still have the most vacant land, things like that? Absolutely. Um, you know, again, I, 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 I'm glad you asked it that way because I, I hate to choose between my children. Um, and it's kind of like saying, which, which of your kids do you <laughs> like best? Uh, they're all have incredible opportunity, but all the different points of the master plan community cycle. Our youngest community uh, of the Woodland Hills and Bridgeland in Houston are rapidly selling homes. We had record home sales over the past two years in those communities. Um, but that is in the generating of residents. And at 11 years old, Bridgeland is at that tipping point of just starting commercial development. We have our first two multifamily buildings there, and we're just starting the beginning stages of our town center, that live, work, play, mixed-use environment where we'll have offices, shopping, a new grocery-anchored shopping center that are all in the pre-development phases right now. Slightly older and slightly in the terms of a master plan community is 20 years. So <laughs> Summerlin has been around for 30 years selling land since the early 90s. And it still has about 3,000 acres of residential land to go, but endless opportunities for commercial. And that city center has really come alive with a million square foot outdoor dining and shopping experiential center, two class A office buildings, two class A multifamily buildings. The Las Vegas ballpark, which is home to the Oakland A's AAA team, the Las Vegas Aviators, uh, that has you know, really started to shift from just residential to a great mix between residential and commercial. In the Woodlands, we have very few residential acres left, but 700 commercial acres uh, with endless opportunities for more commercial development to meet the demands of the growing businesses and the growing retail companies that want to be in the Woodlands to take advantage of our incredible demographics. And then the oldest community was founded by Jim Rouse, and he is uh, the, the father of master plan communities, developing the first, uh, what he liked to call garden for people to grow in Columbia, Maryland. And there we don't have any residential land left. It, it's completely sold out, it has been for many, many years. But we have the opportunity to complete Jim Rouse's original vision by developing downtown Columbia around the Meriwether Post Pavilion and the Columbia Mall on Lake Kittimacunday, bringing in more multifamily medical office, office, meeting the demands of those consumers that want to be there. So I know you recently um, kind of underwent a little shift in your in the focus of your business, uh, which I'll get to in just a second, where you're really concentrating on your master plan communities. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to just briefly ask about the seaport real quick. Absolutely. Um, if, if I were to play a game of one of these things, is not like the other with your properties. The seaport would probably be the winner just it doesn't seem like a land, like the, the Sim City, like land creation cycle, uh, if you will. So where does that really fit into the long-term strategy? Sure, it's a great question and I appreciate the point, but really at Howard Hughes across the board, what we do with all of our assets is we're creating one-of-a-kind communities. 
And that's exactly what we're doing in the Seaport District. We're revitalizing one of the great areas of lower Manhattan into a premier entertainment culinary destination on Manhattan's iconic waterfront in a setting that is unlike anything else we believe in Manhattan. Uh, we have a variety of restaurant op options with John George, David Chang, Andrew Carmelini, unique shopping destinations and an outdoor one and a half acre rooftop space overlooking Brooklyn Bridge where we use for events, a world winning performances, concerts and outdoor dining experiences. And it's that revitalization of creating that great mixed use environment that we're trying to take the special sauce of what we do in our master plan communities on a much larger scale and bring to the seaport. I think next year, as we finish construction and open the tin building, which is a 53,000 square foot food hall by John George, uh, will be a, a culminating event for a lot of that revitalization. And of course, we're still in the ULIP process with New York City to finalize our approvals for a 28 story mixed use building at 250 Water Street, which will have a meaningful residential component. So it is a much smaller scale. It's only on a handful of acres, not 20,000, but it has a lot of those same dynamics of creating great environments for people to to live work and play and i know in manhattan in particular the ability to create value doesn't take as much space as it does everywhere else <laughs> it, it, it it does take longer though it does <laughs> um I, I i think uh 250 water street people have been trying to redevelop for decades um i'm i'm i'm, I'm impressed that you guys were able to get the permitting well, we're, we're in that Euler process and we're uh, about halfway through and we're expecting to hopefully get through the, the remaining stages of it by the end of the year. So I know you have a lot of projects in the pipeline. Um, in, in addition to, to 250 Water Street, um, I know you just announced, I think, $2 billion of kind of accelerated development, um, I want to say, um, mm -hmm. or 2 million square feet, maybe it was. Um, so what's the most exciting opportunity in the pipeline to you right now? Is it Multifamily, which I know is a particularly hot market right now. Is it building out kind of downtown districts? Is it land sales? Uh, where, where do you see the best opportunity right now? Well, right now, coming out of the pandemic, we have been firing on all cylinders. And uh, while we've done a lot of new developments in multifamily, uh, we've done a number of office developments in downtown Summerlin and Columbia, it's tough to say that any one is, is more attractive because it's very much market-driven, location-driven. And our job is not just to find the best risk-adjusted returns, but to meet the demands of those consumers, because those in turn drive the best returns. Uh, we haven't talked much about Ward Village yet, which is our beachfront community, 60 acres in Oahu, right between Waikiki and Honolulu. And, and that is among the most exciting projects in the company. Uh, right before the pandemic started in January 2020, we launched our seventh condo tower, Victoria Place. Uh, and it was right at the beginning of COVID. And uh, obviously it was concerning when we did that, but it actually turned out to be our fastest selling tower ever at Ward Village, our seventh, throughout the pandemic on an entirely virtual digital sales campaign, which the team executed incredibly well. And as of the second quarter, we're already 93% sold on a building that won't complete until 2024. And with Victoria Place, we're just under halfway through our entitlements there. So there are you know, six or so additional towers that will continue to develop there in for sale condominiums that will completely revitalize that neighborhood, taking down older, tireder buildings, World War II vintage retail space, and creating first-class shopping, dining, entertainment at the ground floor of these towers. 
I'm glad you brought up Ward Village because I feel like it's a lot like the seaport in the sense that it gets overlooked by investors a lot because it's relatively smaller scale than some of your master plan communities. It, it, it is. It a is. lot of people it's, think of it as a condo, a condo development. It's 60 acres, but we very much consider it a master plan community. It's just a master plan community that goes vertical, yeah. right? When we're going to have 6,000 plus units, hopefully close to 10,000 residents, all living, shopping, playing in the Ward Village community right on Alamoana Beach Park. And it follows those same principles. And for us, we've been able to sell our condominiums at Ward Village at a meaningful premium to any other condos on Oahu, really because we're not just creating the building, we're creating the overall environment. We're focused on the spaces between the buildings, the walkability, the amenities, the access to great shopping, dining, beach, surfing, all of that plays into how we're creating these environments that we believe drive outsized value. Yeah, that's rare to find on that scale in Hawaii. Yes, yes, we've been blessed uh, with some incredible assets and uh, with some great forefathers that founded these, Jim Rouse in Columbia, George Mitchell in, in the Woodlands, Victoria Ward in Ward Village. Um, and you know we carry those, their legacies with us and try and execute on it every day. So you mentioned uh, COVID in there. So let me just briefly ask you about that. Um, I wrote at the beginning of the pandemic that it was essentially a perfect storm for your company when you consider where your assets are. Um, you know, you're very levered to the Houston market and oil prices went negative at one point. Um, you know, New York and Hawaii, people weren't going to. No economy was affected more than Las Vegas um, during the pandemic. So it's kind of like a, a perfect storm for your assets. What lessons did you learn from that? And how has the business rebounded? Has that exceeded your expectations? And what's really surprised you? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think you summed it up very well. And when the pandemic hit, we also viewed it as a potential perfect storm and needed to plan for the worst and hope for the best. Um, what really changed three, four months, really starting in June after the pandemic, is we saw a flight out of dense urban environments, a flight from the West Coast, Northeast, Pacific, Northwest, and even the Midwest into these great amenity-rich communities with easy access to nature, more outdoor living spaces, and our home sales rebounded incredibly quickly. We saw more and more residents come in, well-educated workforce, and then businesses start to follow. So what eventually looked like a perfect storm in a bad way turned into incredible tailwinds for our business. I think one of the more tangible, lasting changes of this pandemic is one that we're experiencing every day across our communities. Uh, Matt, I'm sure I'm older than you are, but I think when I grew up, I define success as working in a corner office in a big city in a dense urban environment and commuting out. And it was really all about the job. And coming out of the pandemic, I think a lot of folks are rightfully so redefining success. The, not just that corner office in a dense urban environment, but they can work in a small city like Las Vegas, like Summerlin in Las Vegas or the Woodlands, enjoy that professional success, but also enjoy that personal success of a short commute home and spending more time with their family, immediate access to great trails, walking destinations, amenities that allow them to have so much more balance in their life and define success as achieving that balance. Our communities fit squarely right in the middle of the strike zone of that. And we've been able to take advantage of that, hitting record home sales in a couple of our communities and accelerating our development, as you mentioned, with 2 million square feet of new projects coming out of the ground earlier this year. So um, just to kind of expand on that a little bit, 
we're in a very hot real estate market right now. And it's an unusually hot, like it's, it's hot in an unusual way in terms of inventory is very, very low. Um, I'd imagine controlling, being able to control the inventory of land is an asset right now. It, it always is, regardless of the temperature of the market. <laughs> and that our job is to sell land to home builders just to keep up with underlying home sales. If we sell them too much and the market turns, they'll make a bad decision with that land and impact the value of our remaining land. And we have decades to go. If we give them too little, prices will skyrocket because supply will be down and will impact the affordability of our communities. And being affordable is critical to our success. Making sure we have the widest range of price points to attract as many residents as we can into our great communities. So again, our, our competitive advantage comes down to our communities, these 20 plus thousand acre master plans where we have unique influence and can limit supply just to meet demand insulates us from the downturns and allows us to accelerate quickly when things get better. So I mentioned this is a kind of a uniquely hot real estate market. I'm wondering if this has been a good or bad thing for your business, because I really can't put my finger on it. On one hand, home prices are going through the roof. Um, I know in my market, home prices are up, I think, 25% year over year, which is you know unheard of. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, we're seeing a lot of supply chain disruptions, we're seeing a lot of labor shortages, especially in some of the markets where you operate. Um, so I'm wondering if overall, if it's a positive or negative right now. Well, right now, I think that the continued migratory trends, people coming into our communities continue to be positive. And they're a partial driver of that price increase that you referenced, Mike, Matt. I think more importantly is that some of those supply chain issues have caused a little bit of that pricing. And as those start to ease, we've seen lumber come back, uh, but now we're dealing with front doors and, and some markets, roof tiles and appliances. And as those start to ease and they're getting better every day, I think that pressure on prices will start to abate. Uh, and again, we're continuing to deliver lots to home builders and we're doing it very prescriptive. When we sell land to home builders, we're defining the size of the home, the price of the home, and, and where we think it should be set, such that we're hitting all the pieces of the affordability spectrum, not just selling at the highest end, but making sure that we're attracting the greatest number of new residents to our communities and creating affordable places to live. You know, that is one of the great stories of Summerlin, Woodlands, and Bridgeland, is that we have affordable product where if you're coming from a major metropolitan city center, you're going to get closer to nature. You're going to get in at a great price and you're going to have you know, low crime and a quality of life that you probably didn't experience where you were. You guys recently gave your business somewhat of an overhaul. I mean, you're part of it. You're, you're relatively new in your role. Um, and in addition to that, you, I know you um, consolidated your headquarters. You decided to uh, dispose of some non-core assets, which mm -hmm. is still in progress, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, so can you give us kind of a, just an update on that? How is that process going and are you seeing results? Absolutely. I think it's gone incredibly well. And we've been able to cut over $40 million in our general administrative costs and get down to right-sizing the business as we focus in our core business where we generate those outsized risk-adjusted returns. We've also, as you noted, executed on non-core asset sales and are recycling that capital back into our core development products every day. And so far, we've executed on $376 million of those sales. And there's still a couple more assets to go. And given our liquidity position at close to a billion and a half dollars of, of liquidity, we're not in any rush. 
we don't have our backs against the wall, we can wait for the right time and execute at the best price for our shareholders. Um, again, we launched 2 million square feet of new developments as the business is now focused squarely in those MPCs. And really importantly, we've stabilized our senior leadership. And I, I couldn't be happier when Jay Cross joined us almost a year ago. Uh, he came to us after having developed Hudson Yards on the west side of New York for 10 years. And prior to that, being president of the New York Jets, building the Meadowlands with the Miami Heat, he built American Airlines. And before that, Air Canada Center for Toronto. More important than just the buildings that he built, he changed communities, very much focused on those interstitial spaces between buildings, the landscaping, the trails, how the buildings communicate together, and how we make these vibrant mixed-use communities come to life. And with Jay's expertise and stabilized management team, much reduced overhead, and lots of proceeds from non-core asset sales, we're firmly in a position to continue to accelerate the value creation in our business. So I know you can't really comment on the stock price. Um, if you did, you'd be the first CEO who ever did it in one of my interviews, at least. Um, so, but one, I would like to ask you, do you think that the market has a tough time valuing your company just because of how unique the business model is? I feel like a lot of times analysts don't know really how to, how to place value on your assets. Um, like how do you value land that you're going to sell 20 years from now? Um, so do you think the market really has a tough time valuing it? And how has that really played into, you know, the, the company's performance over the, over the years? Absolutely. And, and it's a great question, Matt, something that we're very much focused on on the investor relations side. And I do think that we are admittedly a more complicated story than just a multifamily REIT or a home builder, but that's where the value comes. And in a fast-paced world where everybody has too much to do, it's a lot easier to look at a earnings per share and a multiple and move on to the next company. For us, it takes a little bit more work, and we appreciate that. And, and we're asking investors to do a little bit more to get up to speed on Howard Hughes. Uh, but our job is to make it as easy as possible. And to that end, we've started issuing more detailed guidance on each one of our business segments starting last year. We held a virtual investor day in April where we walked through some of the parts analysis on a piece-by-piece -piece basis, illustrating how we think one way it could be done, trying to make it easier for any new investor who wants to look at Howard Hughes. I think most importantly, coming out of this pandemic and having gone through a downturn, we've proven out the strength of our business model, and we've really prevailed through this pandemic. And over the past year, we've outperformed the REIT and home building indexes, and we're on a great trajectory to increase our NAV. Now, as much as we all want to shrink our discount and close the gap between intrinsic value and our share price, what we are most focused on is growing our net asset value, converting raw acres of commercial land into income-producing assets at outsized returns. And we've been developing multifamily buildings between a 7 and 8% return on cost and what most would argue is a 4 or sub-4 cap rate environment. And if we continue to do that and we continue to drive our net asset value higher at a double digit rate, even if that discount remains constant, we're going to deliver outsized returns to our shareholders. All right. I wanted to ask you about a couple of your, your subtypes of properties right now, specifically offices. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people that I've heard say that offices are going away. Where do you, um, I know, and I know that's a big part of your income producing assets. I, I I think you own your own headquarters. Uh, I want to say Occidental Petroleum has their their uh, big big Houston facility right in in one of your properties. That's correct. Um, I think they leave, I think you just acquired that asset last year, I believe. 
Yeah, about a year and a half ago, we, we acquired two buildings from Occidental Petroleum, one which was fully leased to them for 13 years and the other that we bought entirely vacant. Uh, we moved our headquarters there and we've signed lease with some great companies like Western Midstream to take up some of that vacant space and deliver some value creation. It's been, uh, it's been very good and uh, we're excited about it. We, I'm not a believer and you, know, you can argue I'm talking my own book that offices are going away. And as a CEO, I have been excited and thrilled with how resilient our company has been working remote and how nothing's fallen through the crack. We've been able to file our financials. Our IT has been working great. We're delivering great developments and keeping our business moving. But what we're missing is how we're communicating more effectively. We're missing the collaboration and the culture building at a company. And what we've really lost is, I believe, an entire year of career development of so many of our younger employees that aren't with their bosses, aren't learning from their supervisors over Zoom. And we're an apprenticeship culture. We always have been. I know I learned from going into the office and, and learning from my bosses and my peers and my colleagues. And that's really hard to do in a virtual environment. And I think, and I talked to a number of the business leaders across our communities, and they're very anxious and desperate to get back to the office, to do so safely, but to get back, to enjoy that collaboration and career development of our junior employees that need to see that next step in their career. So just a couple more with the, the few minutes we have left. Um, yes. What do you see as your biggest challenges and risks to your business going forward? Obviously, if, everyone, if anyone could you know, build a 20,000-acre 20, community, they would do it. <laughs> Um, so what, what are the, ch the challenges in, in the execution of your strategy? Well, our, 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 our limiting factors, if you will, in terms of our ability to continue to go out and create value are two things, uh, demand and capital. And right now we're sitting with a billion and a half dollars of liquidity. I feel very good on the capital side. We have in increased migration into our cities from all those destinations I talked about uh, that are driving demand. So our risk is really a change in that demand equation. And Matt, you mentioned earlier how COVID had an incredible impact in impacting demand in Las Vegas, in Hawaii, New York, and Houston. And uh, it was unique in that it hit all of them. Uh, in, in past cycles, we've seen demand slow in Houston when there was uh, an oil downturn in 07 and 08, but we saw Las Vegas and Hawaii were very resilient and strong. So we just move capital to those areas that we see the deepest pockets of demand, and we can accelerate development in Columbia, which with a, uh, a tenant base focused on healthcare, education, cybersecurity, was a shining star throughout the pandemic, no doubt about it. And it allowed us to allocate capital there where we had to pause capital allocation in Houston and Las Vegas. Okay, so I get that you don't have a crystal ball and you can't predict the future. Um, Hopefully you're in your in the, the CEO role for 10, 20 years or more. If you're CEO of Howard Hughes 20 years from now, what does the business look like? Ooh, uh, that's a great question. And I, I can sit back at night and think about 10 years from now, what will develop. And you know, the, the picture behind me is Hughes Landing, and we developed that in just over three years. Uh, five office buildings, two multifamily, a Whole Foods, and an embassy suites hotel, six restaurants. And you think, well, we could do that. But again, our job is to just build to meet that market demand in each one of our markets. When our tenants need more office, we build it. When our multifamily is filled, we build it. When the shopping centers are too crowded, we need another. And it's very difficult for me to predict. What I do know 
is that we're going to continue to execute the way that we always have, consistent with the visions of our founding fathers. And we're going to follow Jim Rouse's principles of economic, social, and racial equality. We're going to respect George Mitchell's vision to sustainable building and doing it in a very environmentally friendly way. Honor Victoria Ward's love of land, people, and using land as a gathering place to build connections. And always at Howard Hughes, embrace our namesakes, Howard Hughes's vision, drive, and entrepreneurship to, to think about what is going to come next. Uh, because we do know it's always changing, and we just have to make sure that we're continuing to evolve with it to meet that changing market demand. Great. Well, David, thank you so much for joining me. I want to, go, I want to give you the last word. Is there anything you would like investors to know about Howard Hughes in 2021 or beyond? Well, I think that, that uh, those investors that have followed the company and those that are new to the company, when they just take a, one little fingernail to peel back the first layer of the onion, I think they can realize what an exciting opportunity we have. And that our ability to improve people's lives, our residents, our consumers, our tenants, drives value creation for this company for decades to come. And if you're focused on long-term value creation, I don't think there's a better risk-adjusted return opportunity in all of the public real estate sector. Awesome. Well, there you have it. So, David, thank you so much for joining us. Um, hopefully, we'll talk to you again pretty soon. And best, best wishes for a prosperous year or two in this hot and unusual real estate market. I appreciate it, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. And, and I know we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, David. That'll do it for us this week, folks. You can learn more about Howard Hughes Corporation by going to howardhughes.com. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus or drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.